let's take a little look behind the page now at Thanos and how we get to the uh, stories that give us the Infinity War movie. Um, we go all the way back to the 1970s with the creation um, of Thanos. Writer-artist Jim Starlin um, says he conceived the idea of Thanos during a college psychology class. Um, Jim Starlin said, I went to college between doing military service and getting work in comics, and there was a psych class I took, and that's where I came up with Thanos, inspired by Sigmund Freud's concept of human death drive, or Thanatos. Oh, um, oh So I when I got jobs in, 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 uh, in the comic books, I came up to Marvel, and editor Roy Thomas asked if I wanted to do an issue of Iron Man. I felt that this may well be my only chance to ever create a character, not having the confidence that my career was going to last anything longer than a few weeks. So Thanos got jammed into an Iron Man story in the 70s. Thanos was a much thinner character, um, and Roy Thomas suggested beefing him up. Um, so he's beefed up quite a bit from, his original, from my original sketches. Um, and later on, I liked beefing him up so much that he continued to grow in size. Jack Kirby had done the New Gods at DC Comics, which I thought was terrific. He was over at DC at the time. I came up with some things that were inspired by the New Gods. You'd think that Thanos was inspired by Darkseid, but that was not the case. When I showed up, in my first Thanos drawings, he looked like, if he looked like anybody, it was Metron. Um, Roy Thomas took one look at the guy in the Metron-like chair and said, beef him up! <laughs> if you're going to steal one of the new gods, at least rip off Darkseid, the really good one. Um, so that is um, that is how the design of the character came to be in the initial concept. And for years and years and years in, in comic book circles and f fandom magazines and message boards, um, Thanos and Darkseid um, are forever compared to each other. There is a lot of similarities between them. So much so that when... DC and Marvel merged their universes to form Amalgam Comics. Um, check out our bonus episode on Patreon now. Um, Thanos and Darkseid merged to form Thanoside uh, because they were just very similar characters. Um, so Jim Starlin, did, career in comics didn't last just two weeks. He took over art and writing duties on the Captain Marvel comic. This is not Carol Danvers. This is Captain Marvel when Captain Marvel was the Kree warrior, the Kree soldier Marvel, and that's where he introduced, uh, reintroduced Thanos, who quickly became Captain Marvel's biggest enemy. Stalin penned a long, sweeping cosmic adventure in which Thanos sought to gain ultimate power by stealing the Cosmic Cube. Um, the Cosmic Cube was like the one of the first, perhaps the first element in the Marvel universe that that had ultimate omnipotent power mm. um and captain marvel is where thanos first did battle with the avengers um stalin then was involved in killing off captain marvel um he, he left that comic uh, and began working on a comic book called strange tales which featured adam warlock in this title stalin transformed adam warlock into a fascinating cosmic hero and this is where he first introduced the concept of the Infinity Stones for the first time. Although in the 70s and throughout into the 80s, the Infinity Stones were known as the Soul Gems. Um, 
Stalin brought Thanos back first as an ally of Adam Warlock, um, and then later as his bitter enemy. Um, as once again, the Mad Titan chased ultimate power and had to be stopped by a uh, an opposite number. Jim Stalin then left Marvel Comics and spent most of the 80s um, making creator-owned work for himself, but also working for DC Comics, where he wrote the main Batman title. Jim Stalin wrote Death in the Family, where Jason Todd Robin is is murdered and killed off. Ah, um, I, read, I read that recently. How did you find it? It's, it's insane. Mm, yes, it is. The Joker... In full Joker makeup, yeah. is an ambassador for a Middle Eastern oil co- country, which gives him diplomatic immunity and lets him murder Robin and not be arrested. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a crazy story. Um, and so during this this kind of this period of time when Stalin's away from Marvel, like the whole eighties, pretty like nobody else had ever really used Thanos. Um, despite the fact the character is owned by Marvel Comics, he was seen as like a Jim Stalin character. And I suspect that he was viewed almost suspiciously by other writers at Marvel and creatives, like a character that most other writers didn't get and didn't fully understand. Um, so Thanos died the last time Jim Stalin was writing him, and he was left dead during and dead and buried during the 80s. No one resurrected him. Um, and then at the end of the 80s, 1988, Steve Englehart, is writing the Silver Surfer comic. And one of his storylines involves the Soul Gems and Mistress Death. And he asked if he could do a follow-up story in which Mistress Death would resurrect Thanos and use him to get revenge on all her enemies. But Thanos was such a small and forgotten character that editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics Tom DeFalco did not know who Thanos was. So he had to have the character explained to him, at which point DeFalco liked the idea so much, he didn't want Steve Englehart to do it. He wanted to save this idea of Thanos working for dead and going after all her enemies and have it in a, a kind of a summer crossover event. Mm. At the time, the modern summer crossover didn't exist. But there was a format that Marvel had experimented with called the annual crossover. So they'd had a storyline called The Evolutionary War, which didn't appear in any... Each comic book, Will, has 12 issues a year. Mm. And then also, in the summer, they release an annual. Ah, not like yeah. not like what we have in this country. Not the hardback things that we had. Rupert the Bear's annual and all that. <laughs> the yeah, the Tiz was annual. Not that. And a comic book a superhero like Marvel DC annual comes out usually in the summer, once a year, um, and it's oversized. So it's longer than 20, 22, 24 pages. Um, it costs a bit more money. And the stories don't always tie in to what's been going on the month before um, or the month after. They're usually kind of a, a separate story, like um, kind of a one-and-done story. Mm. But Marvel had this thing called the Evolutionary War, which was a crossover event that took place in a whole bunch of X-Men and Avengers kind of annuals over the summer. It was a unique concept that hadn't been done before. It worked quite well. And so Tom DeFalco thought, you know what, Thanos coming back and going after a bunch of different superheroes, that could be a nice, that could have, you know, in Spider-Man's annual, he'd go after Spider-Man. 
And then in the in the next annual, you know, in, in the X-Men annual, you go after the X-Men. And the Avengers annual, you go after the, you know, and it would all be tied together by one thing. But it wouldn't necessarily need to be a big contrived story. So that was the plan that was being kind of um, put together and what Thanos are being saved for. So at some point, Tom DeFalco realises that nobody at Marvel really understands Thanos. He himself had only just learned the character existed. So if they're going to bring him back in a major way, it'd be best to do so with his own creator being involved. So Jim Starlin is invited back to Marvel Comics to write this this Thanos story, um, which was now planned to be a story crossing over into multiple different characters and their annuals. Stalin's plans for this new Thanos story were influenced by his most recent readings. The work of psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich, um, the autobiographies of apprentice shaman Carlos Castroneda, and the science fiction novels of Roger Zalanzi. Mm. And Roger Zalanzi's novels feature morally complex protagonists, often tinged with death, and the battles between man and gods. Um, Stalin has said the basic concept for the story stemmed from the fact that I was raised Catholic. I thought, what if God wasn't this benevolent being, but instead, what if he was this mad psychotic creature that would raise havoc in the universe? I wanted to make Thanos into a mad God and the infinity gems were the way of doing it. Stalin began this complex story in the monthly issues of Silver Surfer, which he was then appointed as the writer of. Mm. Thanos is resurrected as an agent of, of, of death, and Stalin approached this new story with the belief that it would be the final Thanos story ever told. Wow. That he would kill Thanos off or come up with a, an appropriate ending for Thanos, and the Marvel would let him finish the character and put him to bed and... He could move on to something else. How wrong he was, Will. (laughs) Things quickly spiraled away from the original plans. As Marvel had recently been purchased um, and the new owners, New World Entertainment, um, mandated that all intellectual property be exploited to maximum potential. It wasn't good enough to just have the Thanos story happening in the Silver Surfer. Mm. To capitalise on the excitement surrounding the character's return, in 1990, the story was spun off into a special two-issue limited series called The Thanos Quest, written by Jim Starlin, in which Thanos travelled the galaxy, obtaining all the different soul gems, which he then renamed the Infinity Gems. And at the end of this special limited series, Thanos has retrieved all the gems and made himself omnipotent, approaching godhood. The Thanos story then carried on in the pages of Silver Surfer, where the creators believed the story would remain until it concluded. But guess what, Will? (laughs) The sales of Thanos Quest were so high that Marvel went, ah, we've got to exploit this some more. (laughs) So Thanos' story was to be concluded then, in a special six-issue limited series to be called The Infinity Gauntlet, uh, which would see Thanos battling some of the biggest characters in Marvel Comics. He had to expand beyond the Silver Surfer, beyond Adam Warlock and Thanos, and it had to now include the Avengers, the X-Men, Spider-Man, everyone. 
This was really the birth of what is known in comic books as the summer crossover. Whilst crossovers had taken place before, like Secret Wars that we looked at, they existed solely as just like a limited series. It's going to be this seven characters, it's going to be four or five issues and done. The Infinity Gauntlet was this six-issue series, but the events of the stories would impact the Marvel Universe as a whole, and it would impact tons of other Marvel comics. Characters that weren't even in the Infinity Gauntlet limited series would deal with the ramifications and the events of the Infinity Gauntlet in their own way, battling all the fallout of Thanos's mad plans. And these comics would carry banners on the front that would say an Infinity Gauntlet crossover <laughs> or tie-in. And so if you wanted the full Infinity Gauntlet story, you read that. The characters that took place in the limited series, uh, like Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, their own comic books would portray the events of the Infinity Gauntlet, but from their unique perspective. So let's say you read issue three. There's a big fight between all the heroes and Thanos. When you read that month's Captain America, you would read about that event from Cap's perspective. Perhaps more of the build-up, perhaps the aftermath, whatever it might be. So all these other comics were tying in to the Infinity Gauntlet in a way that had never been done before in comic books. It was such a success that was replicated and kind of forever became what Marvel and DC Comics did in this summer. Um, without the Infinity Gauntlet, we, you know, laying the groundwork, we wouldn't really have had things like Secret Invasion, Civil War, House of M, things like that. Marvel needed to find a superstar artist for this very ambitious project. And luckily for everyone, they were able to poach George Perez from DC Comics. Now, George Perez came to prominence um, penciling Fantastic Four and the Avengers in the 70s for Marvel. But then in the 80s, he was part of creating the new Teen Titans. Um, a s absolutely smash hit series. Uh, it's a highlight of my youth when I, I got the first... Well, I got, I got it reprinted in DC Action. But it's a bombastic front cover. Um, injecting new life into these teen characters. Very much wanting to kind of like have a teen comic to rival the X-Men's. Mm. It became DC's top-selling series. And several times it became the number one comic book in America. Um, and George's artwork, so well thought of. When DC Comics launched their incredibly ambitious exploding of the Marvel of the DC multiverse and rebuilding it with Crisis on Infinite Earths they tapped George Perez to be the artist that did it that is incredible um it, it really is his artwork and that is something else and following the rebirth of the Mar of the DC universe I can't <laughs> I'm struggling to say DC is a Marvel <laughs> following that rebirth George Perez was chosen to relaunch Wonder Woman as the writer and the artist to reboot the character, come up with a brand new origin for her, brand new start for the character, just like they were doing with Batman Year One mm. at the same time, just like they were doing with um, Man of Steel for Superman. So George is known for these like, incredible widescreen, double-page spreads, for his really um ambitious and artistic use of panel construction um where panels would crash into each other and and be put together on the page in an interesting way and for drawing like highly detailed group shots 
of multiple characters that thrilled readers. Do you remember we looked at the Justice League versus Avengers comic? Yes, I remember that. And those those images of the artwork that featured every single Avenger ever and every single Justice League member ever, oh, all God, on the page. Yeah. That was George Perez. Um, he, he's, his highly detailed group shots are just something else. And his work on Crisis on Infinite Earths held to this day is some of the best, greatest comic book art of all time. Despite all these accolades, Perez at the time was feeling really slighted by DC Comics. Um, they refused to invest in his latest like comic book series miniseries that he was doing called War of the Gods. Um, they weren't. They were only releasing War of the Gods in um, comic book shops. They weren't giving it enough copies to go out there and be in newsstands and supermarkets mm. and where the, where the huge amount of the audience is. And he felt really slighted by that. And then they de- effectively demoted him. He'd been the Oof. writer and artist on Wonder Woman, relaunched the character and everything. And they DC Comics came to George and basically said, you're no longer going to be the writer, you're just going to be the artist. Um, and so he was fed up with DC, quit them in frustration or didn't renew his contract which was perfect for marvel comics because his contract was coming up and that same month they needed somebody for infinity gauntlet so judge perez initially attacked infinity gauntlet with gusto um he asked jim starlin to increase the number of characters appearing in the story so that he could return to marvel in a really big way and knock fans socks off by having all these superheroes on the page. But this kind of dream team of Thanos, Jim Starlin, and superstar artist George Perez was headed for disaster. Uh-oh. Perez was still walk- working on the last of his contract with DC Comics. So he's juggling this miniseries War of the Gods with Infinity Gauntlet at the same time. When he falls behind in both projects on his schedule, he tries to quit War of the Gods... But DC tells him he's contractually bound to complete it. Um, partly because of this stress, partly because of some other things going on in his personal life, and, and the fact that he's been used to being a writer for many years, as well as an artist, not just, here's the script, draw it. He became overly critical of Jim Starlin's scripts for Infinity Gauntlet. It led to a lot of friction um, and disputes between Perez and the rest of the team and his lack of enthusiasm as well is said to be a reason for why he started to work slower Mm. fall behind in schedule it eventually became clear that Perez is not going to be able to meet the deadline for the fourth issue so editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco replaced him uh, which is a real big thing because George Perez is a big star Um, but if he can't hit the deadline in comes another artist called Ron Lim, who was already working with Jim Starlin on Silver Surfer. Uh, and Ron Lim, who is not a superstar, he takes over as the artist for the uh, the final issues four, five, and six of the series. Um, there was a concern that sales would drop without George Perez. But in actuality, the strength of the story, sales went up and up and up. Issues four, five, and six were the best-selling issues in the in the series because it was such an inc- an insane story, and no one knew what was going to happen next. And it really establishes this artist Ron Lim as a superstar artist in his own right, um, even though he wasn't really before this series began. The Infinity Gauntlet enjoyed tremendous sales. It sold so well 
that it also boosted the sales of all the comics that it crossed over with. So, like, an absolute nothing comic that was called Sleepwalker, which hopefully we'll do one day. Um, Sleepwalker, which was not selling well at all, had a big boost in sales because it was an Infinity War, an Infinity Gauntlet crossover event. (laughs) Um, There we go. And that's how you do it. The, the, the comics, the, the Infinity Gauntlet comics cost at the time $2.50 when you buy them from the shop. Mm. The resale, the series was so popular, the resale value of that $2.50 comic was $10. Ooh. You could turn it around in a month and like sell it for so much more. Um, and despite the intention for this to be the final Thanos story... Marvel Comics, especially at that time, cannot walk away from the kind of money being brought in. So the Infinity Gauntlet and its players was spun off into a sequel the following year. That sequel in 1992 was called Infinity War. Another summer crossover event. This time the story impacted every single character in the Marvel Universe in the hope that it would give a sales boost to everything going on. Um, And sales of Infinity War were so good that in 1993, a second sequel was released, Infinity Crusade. Mm. Um, And there was even an ongoing monthly comic called Warlock and the Infinity Watch, which dealt with the Infinity Gems going forward. Um, It was a monster, monster hit. Um, and it led to just like three, four, five years of dominance of Thanos, Adam Warlock, Silver Surfer, Cosmic Infinity characters. Sales would spike, Will, 27 years later. The collected trade paperback of the Infinity Gauntlet was in high demand when this movie came out, (laughs) and it became the best-selling collected edition of 2018. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind-the-page, behind-the-scenes and comic book Marvel history. (laughs) 